joked about that. Said that I don't know if we're the happiest country in the world, but I think we're the least unhappy. So there's some more low expectations for you. I know uh, Tuesday is Halloween, so you might hear on the radio, on TV, or just people at work or at school saying, Happy Halloween. And then not too long after that, we're going to have Happy Thanksgiving, and then Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. And if you want to cover it all, you just say Happy Holidays. So it's the holiday time. Whether or not it feels like it, maybe it does to you because it's a little bit cold this weekend, but it's the holidays, they're upon us, and the thing that you're going to hear over and over is happy holidays. So for the next few weeks, we're going to look at a key word. Now these words, maybe they seem a little bit random, but I think they're words that we use during the holiday time, and what I want to do is study from a biblical perspective, what do we mean by these words, and how can these words impact us as disciples of Jesus. So this morning we're going to look at this word happiness. We live in a country where if you say life, liberty, and the pursuit of what? Happiness. You know what that means and yet there's a lot of people that struggle with not being happy. We have a lot of people that are chronically unhappy. Uh, I was talking with a group of preachers just the other day And we were talking about the great things about churches that we have worked at, but then we were also talking about the things that we've been criticized about. And we were sharing different things. Uh, None of them really add up. They're all different criticisms here and there. But the one thing that we kind of landed on was, man, it's hard to make people happy. As if that's what we're always supposed to do. But if you try to make one group of people happy or one person happy, you may make someone else unhappy. So it's just hard to make people happy. And we have different standards of what makes someone happy. Happiness is elusive. It may depend on your mood. It may depend on how much sleep you got. It may depend on a lot of different factors as to whether or not you're happy today. So I wonder if we were having a one-on-one conversation and we were being honest with each other, if I asked you, Are you happy with your life right now? I wonder how you'd answer that. Or I wonder if I asked, what makes you unhappy, or what makes you happy, how you would answer that. We're going to study Ecclesiastes this morning. We're going to start in chapter 1 and verse 1, and we're going to start with this, this intro. The words of the teacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. That sounds a lot like Solomon. Most scholars, whether progressive or conservative scholars, will say it's actually not Solomon who wrote Ecclesiastes, but it's someone who takes on the persona of Solomon. But he identifies himself as the teacher or the preacher. It literally means assembler, which is where we get the name Ecclesiastes. So the Hebrew word for teacher, how he identifies himself, is Koheleth. So whether you think Solomon wrote it or Solomon didn't write it, he calls himself Koheleth, so that's what I'm going to refer to him as throughout this sermon. So when I say Koheleth, I mean the author of Ecclesiastes. Look at verse 2. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, says Koheleth. Everything is meaningless. So if you were to ask him, are you happy with your life right now, does it sound like he's very happy? It doesn't sound like a very happy person says everything is meaningless, or some of your translations may say vanity. That comes from this Hebrew word hevel or havel, and it literally means vapor or breath, or Eugene Peterson in the message translates it smoke. 
What that word means, you know, NIV is meaningless, some versions are, is vanity. What it means, I think behind the word hevel or vapor, I think what he means is something that can't fulfill. Something that can never satisfy. We chase after different things that we think if I just get this or if I just move here or if I just do that or buy this, then I'll finally be happy. But it's all vapor. Meaningless. It can't fulfill. These things of earth can't truly satisfy. So we're going to skip around a little bit as we study through Ecclesiastes this morning. Uh, Maybe you've heard the question before, or maybe the statement, go to your happy place. Have you ever heard that before? Have you ever told that to someone? Maybe you're working with a student or a child who's struggling with their temper or anger or sadness, and you tell them to create this mental place of happiness. You know, what is it that makes you happy? Maybe it's sitting on a beach somewhere on a nice sunny day. Go to that happy place. All right, you've heard that before. Maybe you've said that to someone. In chapter 1 and verse 12, he says, I, Koheleth, when king over Israel and Jerusalem, applied my mind to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to human beings to be busy with. I saw all the deeds that are done under the sun and see all is hevel, all is vapor, a chasing after the wind. You read through just a little bit of Ecclesiastes, and I'm starting to think maybe Koheleth didn't really have a happy place to go to anymore. I was reading in somewhere that a psychologist said that some people are just lucky enough to foster happy genes. Some people are just happier than others. Would you agree with that? I would agree with it. Sometimes I know people who are just happy all the time, And I just think, what are you so happy about? You know, sometimes there's reason to be upset. And maybe I'm just naturally a little more negative or a little more pessimistic. Some people just have a happy gene and are just happy all the time. But I also know people who struggle with being unhappy, struggle with depression. And I've talked with them, and they'll tell you, I don't want to feel like this. I don't think anybody wants to feel unhappy and sad. We want to feel happy but it seems like there's external forces or internal forces that prevent people from being happy. Sometimes people choose to be unhappy, but sometimes people really struggle with that. And here, he's saying it's an unhappy business that God has given us. It's all vapor. It's all chasing after the wind. It's meaningless. In chapter 2, maybe you've heard the statement, do what makes you happy. Maybe you've given someone that advice. Maybe we tell college students that when you choose a major, when you choose what career field you want to go into, do what makes you happy. Or we say that in certain specific situations on a daily basis. You can't decide, just do whatever makes you happy. And sometimes that's fine. If eating a Snickers bar is what makes you happy, then eat the Snickers bar. But if being unfaithful is what makes you happy to your spouse, that's not good advice. Sometimes doing what makes you happy in the long run leads to extreme unhappiness and destruction. In chapter 2, in verse 1, he said, I said to myself, come now, I will make a test of pleasure, enjoy yourself. But again, this is also hevel, this is also vapor, a test of pleasure. In verse 3, he mentions wine is included in that. And then in verse 4, he says, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. 
I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had a great possessions of herds and flocks. More than any who had been before me in Jerusalem, I gathered for myself silver and gold and the pleasure of kings and the provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and delights of the flesh and many concubines. So what he's saying is, I had everything that money could buy. I had unlimited resources. I had everything that any human could ever think that they wanted. And he continues in verse 9. So I became great. I surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had spent doing it. And again, this was hevel. This was vapor. This is meaningless. A chasing after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So do what makes you happy. That was his life motto for a while. He had all that he could want, and he just did what made him happy, what brought him pleasure. He did a test of pleasure. And in the end, here's his conclusion. He didn't say, man, I've lived a great life. All these things were fulfilling. He said all of that was vapor. All of it was meaningless. Chasing after the wind. I did what made me happy, and in the long run, it didn't make me happy. That seems to be our story sometimes. But there's different times in life where maybe we are happy. We have different seasons of happiness. In chapter 3, we know this because there's a song made after it. For everything, there's a season for every matter under heaven. He says, a time to be born, a time to die, and then he goes on, a time to laugh, a time to mourn. And he has a time for this, a time for that. So there's different seasons in life. And maybe there's a season of happiness, and there's seasons to mourn. A few years ago, I was with a group of high school students. And there was other adults around, and there was one adult that was playing just a rotation of songs on a playlist on their phone. And nobody was really paying attention to the songs. It was just kind of background music. And then at one point, this song came on, and the song is called Happy. I believe Pharrell Williams It came out a few years ago. You remember this song? Because I'm happy. I'm not going to sing it for you, but you know what I'm referring to? He says over and over, I'm happy. The name of the song is happy. It's perky. It's kind of enjoyable. It's kind of catchy. It's supposed to make you feel happy. And he talks about doing what makes you happy. And as soon as the song came on, all the students went, Oh, turn it off. I'm so tired of hearing that song. And I thought, man, how ironic is that? A song that's supposed to make you feel happy, and they don't want to hear it. Because we have seasons in life where we're not always happy. We're not always ready to hear a song about happiness because that may not be the season of life that we're in. So he says there's a season for everything. So maybe there's seasons for happiness. A time to laugh, a time to mourn. And then he says, in verse 12, I know that there is nothing better for them to be happy and to enjoy themselves as long as they live. It almost sounds like there's a little bit of sarcasm in that. Just be happy and enjoy yourself. Because this is all we have. Look at chapter 7. Skipping around just a little bit. 
It says, a good name, and this is verse 1, a good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death better than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting, for death is the destiny of everyone, and the living will lay it to heart. So chapter 7, he's saying death is the destiny of everyone. You'd be better off going to a funeral than to a wedding, a house of mourning than a house of feasting. Because in the end, we all die. That sounds a bit morbid. Now, I'll talk in a minute about Jesus, because I think Jesus has something to say about this right here. We'll move on to chapter... Well, actually, look at chapter 7, verse 14. He says, When times are good, be happy. When times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. So he's acknowledging again the different seasons of happiness. When times are good, then be happy. But when times are bad, just remember God made both. Chapter 9, actually, is what the next passage I want to highlight. This is one that maybe you're familiar with. I love this. Verse 11 of chapter 9 sounds pretty awesome. He says, again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to the skillful, but time and chance happen to them all. There's a lot of truth in that little proverb. We can set up, we can plan for the future, we can have skills, we can have money, we can have this or that, but time and chance happen to us all. We can't always predict what's going to happen. Okay, so that's part of chapter 9. And then he continues in verse 12, and he says, For no one can anticipate the time of disaster. Like fish taken in a cruel net, and like birds caught in a snare, so mortals are snared at a time of calamity when it suddenly falls upon them. So verse 11 sounded pretty cool, but then the following verse sounds depressing again. This is a time of calamity that's coming upon you, a time of destruction, and you never know when it's going to happen. It's better to go to a house of mourning than a house of feasting. So he goes on and on, and then he builds up to chapter 12, and Koheleth ends Ecclesiastes with his conclusion. Here's the conclusion of it all. The end of the matter, verse 13 of chapter 12. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For that is the whole task of everyone. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. So he did what made him happy. He had everything that you think that you would want, that you would desire. And in the end, he said, all of that is meaningless. All of it is hevel. All of it is vapor. It can't satisfy. It can't fulfill. But this is what I've concluded. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's not a bad conclusion to come to. But I think about Jesus. And I think about when this was written. This was written before Jesus defeated death. Before Jesus died on a cross and then actually came back. As the Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrews chapter 2, we're freed from being slaves to the fear of death because Jesus himself defeated death and gives us that hope of resurrection. So it's kind of like Koheleth is pointing towards there's got to be something better, more than just death is the destiny of all of us. So then we move and we switch gears over to Jesus. We'll flip over to the New Testament. And what does Jesus have to say about happiness? Did Jesus talk about happiness? 
What did Jesus have to say about being happy? Really not much. Jesus didn't talk about happiness just a whole lot. Uh, In Matthew chapter 5 and in Luke chapter 6, we have what's called the Beatitudes. When I say Beatitude, you might think blessings. Like blessed, in Matthew 5, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, they'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek, they'll inherit the earth. He goes on to say, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. He says, Blessed are those who are insulted because of Jesus' name. He says, Blessed are. The root word, the Greek word that we translate as blessed is this word, Makaros. And the root word for makaros is where we actually also get the word happy. So some say you could translate these beatitudes with the word happy. Happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are those who mourn. Happy are the meek. Happy are those who are persecuted. But when you think about what makes somebody happy, that's not normally where you go. If you were to say, today, I'm going to do something that makes me happy, let's become poor in spirit. I want to do something that really makes me mourn. I want to go out there and do something where people will insult me and persecute me. That's not where we seek after happiness. So what we know about the Beatitudes, about what Jesus has to say about happiness, is there's this great reversal taking place. What the world will tell you makes you happy... Koheleth tells you that doesn't satisfy. What the world would tell you, this is what makes you happy, Jesus says in the kingdom of God, things are flipped upside down. Or maybe they're actually right side up, according to how God looks at it. Look at John chapter 15. This will be, we're going we're gonna to kind of conclude in John 15, 16 this morning. John 16 was our scripture reading. But in John chapter 15, just to give you the, the context of what's going on here, This is right before Jesus is crucified, and he knows what's about to happen. He's given his final words to his disciples, and he has these I am statements. An I am statement draws from Exodus chapter 3 when God tells Moses, I am who I am. So Jesus has these I am statements where he is making himself equal with God. And in chapter 15 and verse 1, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine grower. Maybe your version words that a little differently. And he says, He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. So what I would say, the type of happiness that Jesus can offer us, is what I would call a pruned happiness. A pruned happiness. He said, for those who bear no fruit... Okay, that's not what he's looking for, but for those who bear fruit in the kingdom of God, he prunes, so they'll bear more fruit. But the pruning process is a painful process. It's not easy and it's not delightful. I had an example for this, and Jessica told me not to use this example, but Jessica's home with a sick child, so I'm going to use this example because she's not here. But a few weeks ago, I had this really nasty blister under my foot. On my big toe. And I just, I try to ignore things and hope they go away. And it wouldn't go away. So one night, I got a knife. And I sat down on the couch. And she told me to take it somewhere else. But I wanted to do it on the couch so I could watch football while I was doing it. But I did a little surgery on my toe. 
And I peeled off this blister, got the dried up blood out from under it, and it hurt. It was painful. And it was painful even for the next few days. It was hard to run on it. But now my toe's healthy again. So you go through this process of pain, but it leads to something better. Jesus says, for those who produce fruit, God prunes you so that you produce more fruit. It's not an easy process. But if that's the type of happiness that Jesus offers us, that's what I would call like a seasoned, mature type of happiness. Not a temporary happiness where you're only happy in the moment based on your circumstances, but a happiness that is learned through time as God matures you to produce more fruit. There was a man who lived in the 16th century, and his name was John. The Catholic Church refers to him as St. John of the Cross. He wrote a book called The Dark Night of the Soul. And in this book, he, his premise, his thesis is that God takes you from a beginning stage, being a babe in Christ, and through time he moves you to a more advanced stage. But to mature you to do this, sometimes he makes life hard. And it doesn't necessarily mean he causes bad things to happen to you, but his argument is that he takes away some of those sensory pleasures that you have at first. When you're, when you're in, early, in your early days and being a Christian, you have some things that you find joy and delight in, but times get harder. You find some inward dryness, like God is far from you. And his argument is that that's a part of maturing you. Maybe that's a part of this pruned happiness that Jesus is referring to in John 15 too. In John 16... This is building back up to our scripture reading this morning. Uh, Jesus is offering his disciples a little glimpse into the future. And he says in John 16 and verse 20, Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will have pain, but your pain will turn into joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when her child is born, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy of having brought a human being into the world. So you have pain now, but you will see again, and your hearts will rejoice. And no one will take your joy from you. As Jesus says these words to his disciples, there is a lot of pain that they are about to experience. They're about to scatter. They're about to fear for their lives as they watch the man they gave up everything to follow die even though he told them it's going to happen. But they're going to rejoice when they see him again. Okay, so there's this anticipation of what's about to happen. And he says, your pain will turn into joy. And he compares it to uh, a woman giving birth. There's a lot of pain. You know, I've been in the delivery room twice, and I've said it before, and I hope to never be in another delivery room. But I know there's a lot of fear and anxiety and pain. But there's also a lot of joy. You know, looking at my wife's face, nobody could ever take that joy away from her when the child is born. And Jesus said it's like that. The pain is necessary because it leads to joy, and this joy and happiness are kind of used synonymously here. There's a joy that nobody can take away. And I think the disciples experience that joy after the pain of the cross when they see a resurrected Jesus. But I think he means even beyond that because he's given them warnings that as they carry out the mission, or the Great Commission like we looked at last week, there's going to be a lot of pain. There's going to be rejection. 
There's going to be times where they're uncomfortable, and eventually it's going to lead to their earthly death. They're going to become martyrs for Jesus, and they will experience a lot of pain. But there's a day coming where there is a joy and a happiness that will be an eternal happiness. A type of happiness that no one can take away. And we anticipate this day. As followers of Christ, we anticipate this eternal eschatological happiness when all things will culminate in eternal life with God. We can find glimpses of happiness here on this earth. There's times where our happiness comes from some of the pain that we go through as God continues to work on us, but we also live with this promise that someday things will be set right in Christ. And ultimately, that's the happiness we're aiming for. And we live into that. And John, Jesus says, I've come to offer you life and life to the fullest. That's John 10.10. He doesn't say, I've come to offer you happiness and happiness every day. But he's come to bring us life. And when John uses this word life in the Gospel of John, when Jesus uses this word life, it's a life here and now and a life in eternity. And that's what Jesus ultimately offers us. Koheleth in Ecclesiastes says everything is hevel. It's vapor. It's meaningless. And that was his take. His conclusion, fear God, keep his commandments. But when Jesus comes along, he doesn't say, I've come to just make you happy. In fact, following Jesus sometimes makes things more difficult. But Jesus says, I've come to offer you a purpose. Here and now, and a purpose for eternity. This morning, if you need any prayers, if you need to respond, you can come up front. You can find a shepherd. Uh, But let's stand and sing.